and welcome to the So To Speak podcast. I'm your host, John Beadle. It's been a while since I've been here with you guys um, doing this podcast, but I'm glad you're still here. I'm always amazed that people are actually willing to listen. And of course, I am back with another hot topic to discuss today to kind of think through. Let me just say, before I talk about this subject, I am very aware that people are coming at this topic with great enthusiasm and great passion, and passions are flying, and they often miss the mark. And especially if you look at social media, people don't really know how to talk about this issue. We haven't learned how to talk about this subject yet, but I'm really hoping we can do some of that today. So I walked into the Starbucks today after having Sunday lunch with my family, and as I walked in, I do my typical thing when I walk up to the front register, which is I thumb quickly thumb through the latest edition or the latest newspaper for the New York Times. And I always enjoy it. I love the way the New York Times lettering and typeset is, is, is set out, and I enjoy thumbing through it. Well, of course, on the front page, what did I see? It was a picture of Dr. Ford testifying, along, and alongside her picture was a picture of, of course, Judge Kavanaugh, Judge Brett Kavanaugh. And on Judge Kavanaugh's face, somebody had scribbled in with a pen that clearly needed a little bit more ink, the word rapist, rapist. And I sort of looked at that and kind of chuckled a little bit. I was like, this is absurd. Uh, Who would do that? So then I went and I checked the rest of them just to make sure. I was like, is this the only one with this word on it? And sure enough, all the other newspapers had the same issue. They all said rapist. When I went to the cashier and complained about it, he just sort of, in a banal way, go, oh, oh, that's so sad, and then continue to take my order. And let me think, I wonder if it's actually the staff who are doing this, who have done this. Because really, who would walk up to a stand at a Starbucks and take the time to write on every single copy of the newspaper without getting caught? Well, at Starbucks they would. When I first heard of Brett Kavanaugh, I heard like everybody else, it was just on the TV. That was the nominee. That was the pick that Trump made. I didn't actually want Brett Kavanaugh to be picked. Um, He was not on my radar. The person who was on my radar was Amy Coney Barrett. And the reason why Amy Coney Barrett was on my radar was because of the very famous exchange she had with Senator Dianne Feinstein, who had accused her of having a religious faith that was so deep that she wouldn't rule fairly on behalf of marginal peoples. And she made this famous statement towards um, Amy Coney Barrett by saying, the dogma lives loudly within you. (laughs) And it was a remarkable statement because to everybody else who was watching this exchange between Amy Coney Coney Barrett and Dianne Feinstein, we all kind of... didn't it passed the sniff test basically for religious persecution where she basically asserted that we did not have room in the courts we did not have room for justice for those who held to christian uh, religious views and that's how everybody interpreted it and so i was just kind of hoping it'd be a great little uh, fun nomination for trump to make but he made this nomination for a guy named brett kavanaugh I didn't know who who Brett was at all, uh, but I was interested in seeing how this thing played out because I watched the Gorsuch nomination and just watching how, you know, the Democrats will go out of their way to sort of make 
uh, it really hard on the nominee. But this is really unprecedented, this, this style of polemical uh, back and forth between the parties. Um, it's not unprecedented in the sense that there's hostility between party lines, but it's unprecedented in the sense that those who vote, it's been incredibly split lately uh, when it comes to the courts. So let me really, I've been reading a lot of C.S. Lewis in the middle of all this, and there's this book called The Pilgrim's Regress. And in this story, there's a really interesting moment where the character is talking to another character, the main character is talking to a side character who says, uh, recounts a story in which the character says two plus two equals four. And the person listening to them says, oh, you would say that you're a mathematician. And it's sort of C.S. Lewis's way of poking fun of this idea that you could set, make a claim as an individual, but then the person listening to you who disagrees with your, your perspective or the, your argument, instead of attacking your argument, attacks your personality, um, your skin color, or um, something else. It has nothing to do with it, your actual argument. And C.S. Lewis coined the phrase bulverism to sort of you know, um, as an inside joke to kind of make fun of that way of thinking because it was so sloppy. But I see a lot of that kind of, you know, you would say that because of XYZ mentality on both sides of the aisle, but especially with the way that people have been talking about the accusation between um, Dr. Ford and, of course, Judge Kavanaugh. Dr. Ford accused Judge Kavanaugh of sexually assaulting her, of attempting rape, but then eventually uh, being too drunk to actually pull it off, and so she was able to escape. She named him. She accused him um, of, of the, the, the crime and of, uh, of molestation, of assault. It's a very serious crime, actually. And so people, of course, took up factions. Some people said, I believe him. Others said, I believe her, right? There are problems when people say things like this, especially legal problems. You cannot uh, say, I believe someone on the basis of anything other than the evidence, of course, in the court of law. But what I see happening culturally is actually transcending that. First of all, when we say things like, I believe her, I believe him, it's not just people saying, I believe in this individual. What we see in the media is that where people are attaching virtue to gender, right? Especially when it comes to her. People are saying, instead of, and how, how do I know this? People are not, they don't just say, when I believe her and I believe her testimony. They say things like, in light of what's happened with, um, with Dr. Ford, um, Christina Blasey Ford, we need to believe women more. So once again, it's sort of this game, right? People are attaching virtue to gender, and they're also presupposing a narrative, okay, on both sides, right? The right presupposes a narrative that says, uh, if you are conservative, you are automatically looked at as subhuman. Um, if you're, and, and then on the left, they say, well, we have a rape culture in America, and they throw out statistics, bogus statistics, like one in four women are raped, and go, uh, and men get away with it all the time. And so my, my, the problem is we stopped seeing people as individuals, and then we just started seeing them as representatives of groups, right? And this has the habit of actually, uh, and this works both ways, by the way, um, it radicalizes people on the left because they, they don't feel like the individual matters. The individual gets absorbed into a collective identity, identity. but it, it works both ways. People start on the right, start thinking that, um, that this is representative of those uh, beliefs on the left, and they start talking about the left as if it's this monolithic um, school of thought. Just like those on the left think that those on the right are also victims of a monolithic school of thought. 
So the individual gets collapsed into the group. And this leads to the radicalization of individuals because the individual has disappeared. It is now just the group. And therefore, if it benefits the group, whatever the action that gets taken, it is right. It is good. It is virtuous. Now, I, 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 I would just put out there, we should stop saying, I believe her. Stop saying, I believe him. Maybe we should say something like, I believe in the evidence. I believe in the evidence. Now, before you turn this podcast off and say, clearly he's a man, he would say that because he's a man. I think Dr. Ford actually gave what appears to be credible eyewitness evidence testimony. Talk to any lawyer and they'll tell you that to say that she had no evidence is false. You can't say that. She clearly did have evidence. Her own. Her own experience. The problem, though, is that the Democrat Democratic senators on the committee botched the questioning of Judge Kavanaugh because of their eagerness to argue every point they disagreed with. They never asked a, a, a coherent series of questions that could actually lead to them getting the truth that they needed from Judge Kavanaugh. And because they could not resist the impulse to go after every single little trap that was laid in front of them, they wasted their time. And, they waste, and because they wasted their time, they didn't produce any coherent statement from Kavanaugh that would actually prove their point because they didn't actually have the patience to actually pursue um, a coherent um, questioning uh, line of reasoning. They botched the questioning because of their eagerness to argue every point. This is an incredibly silly way of arguing against someone. It's always better to approach disagreement in a Socratic format. Why? Because you do not elevate the personality to the level of truth. What you do is that you simply ask questions and you don't presume that you know the answer so that you might actually learn something you didn't actually know before, which will benefit you anyway, and you can actually expose the truth without destroying your own credibility. So we need to say, I believe the evidence. Now, was Kavanaugh's anger justified? Here's another thing. Um, was his anger justified in his response, in his testimony? Me personally, I think it was. I think his anger was unprecedented and maybe disqualifying in some people's eyes. But for the rest of us, it was an unprecedented process. People saw what was happening to this man as unfair and uh, also what happened to Dr. Ford as unfair that it was not her intention to actually have this kind of process played out in the public in the way that it played out. She did not intend that to happen, at least on its face, that's what it appears is the, to be the truth. Another thing that I kind of found fishy was that people, especially on, on the Democrats, kept saying, well, it's just an interview. We just want to find the right person for the job. And of course, this is a silly, <laughs> it's, just, it's just a laughable uh, thought. Here's why. No job, no regular job interview um, could put you in prison for lying, okay? This is obviously on a different level. Whenever you are sitting there taking questions from senators, you if you lie, you do so under the penalty of the full force of the law, and you commit a felony if you lie about your history, about your experience. So it's really tricky. It's really dicey. Of course it wasn't a job interview. Of course he was a man who felt like he was fighting for his life. And I can't blame him for that. I can't blame him. And anybody who has a shred of, 
of empathy and a humility for their own uh, ability to reflect upon their own self can see that the guy was simply fighting for his life and his livelihood. It's not okay when our justice system is, or a system like, of questioning like this, is not really after the truth, but is just trying to, it, it, it appe- in other words, the appearance of what was happening, the implied statements from the Democratic senators, the implied statements from what was happening uh, to Judge Kavanaugh and uh, Christina Blasey Ford was saying something at a level that was not maybe direct from a lot of senators in the committee, but a lot of normal people picked up on. A lot of normal people picked up on. So a lot of people sort of reacted the way that Lindsey Graham did. You know, Lindsey Graham is not a loud personality. He's not a guy who fights. He's a bipartisan connector. He's a cross-bencher, right, so to speak. But a lot of people responded the way that he did. They felt like they were awakened to a fight that they feel forcefully enrolled in. So just as many people, as you see those videos of those youth Um, The youth wings of the Democratic Party going out and banging on the doors and getting arrested and shouting at senators and intimidating people. There are, for every one of those, those young adults, there are probably hundreds, maybe even thousands of people who are teetering between the left and the right, more of the independents, who have fully uh, gone over to the right as a result. So this, this sort of, this, this M.O., of those on the left who really want to get their policy win the day, um, it scares people. And it scares people to go to the ballot and vote the way that the left does not want them to vote, even if it is against their principles, even if it is against their typical left-right consideration and thoughtfulness. People are willing to actually say, you know what, I am afraid and I am going to vote this way. That works in no one's favor. That works in no one's favor. But of course, this generation has been so raised, has been raised not on rhetoric, not on argument, but on name calling, identity politics, on, on, you know, making a slur and not an argument and thinking that's enough to actually win the day. It's not enough. People, everybody sees through it, right? Everybody sees through the whole, well, you, of course, you're saying that because you are a straight white male. Or, you're, of course, you're just saying that you are uh, gay or a woman or a minority or whatever. That kind of reasoning is the kind of reasoning that put people in chains 100, 200 years ago. That kind of reasoning uh, prevented people who were black, who were Hispanic, who were Irish from getting access to the justice system. And it's those same, that same reasoning that somehow we are supposed to believe is going to protect people and those voting blocks. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We see the farce. We see the, the lie, uh, behind the smile. We see the, the cynicism. We see the, 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 the cruelty and we're not buying it. Here's my last point. Something to think about. When it comes to these accusations, what is often the kind of reasoning behind them really alarms me. Here's why. One woman accuses, well, there's multiple accusers, right? The accused in this situation are required in the culture's eyes to provide enough ample evidence to prove them innocent of these rape charges or allegations or sexual assault charges, right? And what typically happens is that they have to provide an overwhelming amount of evidence that, that to the contrary. Now, this is basically the preponderance of evidence. It's ridiculous. 
um, it's guilty until proven innocent. It's the idea that if you are accused, you are by default the one who has to mitigate that accusation. Well, in our justice system, that's not the way it works. You are presumed innocent until proven guilty, until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. That's the beauty of the American legal system. Is it broken? Yes, of course it's broken. It has people. That's not an excuse. We can make it better, but it's still the best game in town. The alternative is what they had in the Soviet system for almost 60 years, which is a person would be accused of not being a of being an enemy of the state and it was up to them not only to provide evidence that they were not an enemy of the state but to provide an overwhelming amount of evidence that would satisfy a judge so that that judge then the, then would not send them to the gulag or to jail for an indeterminate amount of time right Now, the question in the Soviet Union would be, how much evidence really is enough in order to convict this person or to to liberate this person, to take them out of the process so that, okay, they can go back to living normal society life? Well, the answer to that question is, there is no limit. The judge, the system decided and made up the rules as it went along. And, they, and the, 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 the Bolshevik revolution instituted this thing called revolutionary justice where, hey, if you, um, if you were innocent and they wrongfully, in the individual sense, convicted you and sent you to the gulag or wrongfully, in the individual sense, killed you, well, it was still justified because who knows, there were probably many other people who were turned away from becoming enemies of the state because of your sacrifice. So you still ended up doing it for the sake of the collective good. We don't have that in the American system. The individual is tried on the basis of evidence, is considered innocent until proven that they're guilty, and then the individual is put away or has to suffer the consequences of the crime. Is it broken at times? Yes. Have women come forward and they accuse men who were actually guilty, but they could not get charges um, brought? Yes. Does that mean that we should turn a system upside down? This is why this is not hyperbolic for me to say that the Soviet system is what is prevalent or what is prevailing in in the attitudes of many who have accused Brett Kavanaugh. Many who have accused him of these crimes. Should we believe women? We should always listen to victims. We should always listen to those who bring these cases to us. Should we believe them unequivocally, without any consideration of the evidence of what's happening? Have women lied before? Yes. Have men lied before? Yes. Human nature is frail and fickle. Therefore, we need a standard that transcends cultural identity, right? This is what we brought to the table in Western civilization, and it's awesome. So, what's my opinion on the whole thing? Honestly, either way it went with him, it, pe- people are going to lose, and it was, it's not going to be easy. 
him being a uh, Judge Kavanaugh being appointed to the bench is not going to quell or silence anything. Things are only going to ratchet up, I'm afraid, until the frenzy has reached the tipping point. And uh, I'm not a conspiracy theorist by any stretch of the imagination. But I am afraid for my country right now. I'm not optimistic. But I am hopeful. I'm hopeful that there is at least a ragtag group of young people who are kind of come together over this and say we need to reimagine our future together in light of this and maybe take some different tactics, learn some history, read some good literature, maybe think differently. I mean, what do you think? I want to know what your thoughts are. I, I'm, this is not an echo chamber. Do you disagree with me? Do you have other reasons for rejecting his nomination? Um, like I said, I haven't totally given my opinion. I'm going to leave that out to you. Um, this podcast is not meant to be a thing where I just tell you what to believe. I'm trying to use it more as a heuristic, you know, where we can kind of come to the truth together. So let's make this community thing. What do you really think? You know, not just as a woman or just as a white person or just as a black person, but as an individual, what do you think? I would love to hear your thoughts. Well, thanks for listening. I hope you can share, subscribe. Um, I would love if you would just click that subscribe button. That really does a lot to help us. And if you want more of these, just let me know. And if you want me to talk about a topic, go ahead and send me a message here and just comment and say, I want you to talk about this. I would love to do that. Well, anyway, have a good day.